ओम ज्ञान चिरंधस्यज्ञानंजनशलाकाय चक्षुरनीलितम येना तस्मै श्री गुरवे नमः सो लॉर्ड श्री कृष्ण कंटिन्यूज टू एक्सप्लेन द मोस्ट कॉन्फिडेंशियल नॉलेज व्हिच ही एक्चुअली स्टार्टेड टू एक्सप्लेन इन द प्रीवियस वर्स नाउ दोस हु आर वेल एक्वेंटेड विद कृष्ण कॉन्शियस फिलॉसफी will probably consider that the most confidential knowledge is knowledge of Krishna in Vrindavan but here Krishna is explaining his interaction with the material world or his lack of simultaneous interaction and lack of interaction so the ultimate object of teaching bhagavad gita is to take us to the spiritual world but as in any subject we have to start at the beginning at a platform that we can relate to our present experience even the greatest scholar of mathematics in the beginning had to be shown one apple plus one apple equals two apples even the greatest scholar at the beginning if you just put the figures on the blackboard it won't mean anything to him so he's taught to relate the uh the apples which even the child knows something about to the abstract concept of numbers and this is the entrance into mathematics at all levels so uh here lord krishna is explaining his relationship with the material world the material world is something we can understand from our present position and he is uh distinguishing himself from the nature of the material world that he is not under the control of this material world he is above it aloof from it uh and his actual existence is not of the nature of this material world which he has already described in the previous chapter as dukhalayam ashashvatam the abode of misery where everything is temporary so uh, this is called shaka chandranyay the a method of teaching by which one first indicates something close and familiar before uh leading us to see something which is more distant more subtle more or less easy to understand just like to indicate to a child this is the moon you see in between the two branches of the tree that round ball that is the moon actually the moon has no relationship with the tree it is far distant from the tree there is some relationship that lord krishna explains in bhagavad gita that pushnami choshada sarve somobhutvarasatmakaha i nourish all the vegetables and plants by becoming the moon but it is a very subtle relationship so krishna is related with this material world but not directly because he is not material it is essential that we in the beginning of uh, imbibing spiritual knowledge clearly understand the difference between the material and the spiritual if we don't do that then we may talk of god and spirit and religion and devotion and all these things spiritual devotion 
But our concept will remain totally material. As Prabhupada points out here in this purport, we might think of God like Atlas. He's holding up the whole universe, so he must be a big, super muscular fellow, straining under the burden. Just like you see the weightlifter there. I left it up. I let it go. So God must be weightlifting champion of the whole universe. And we see that these uh, materialistic concepts of God, they've, they take over, they've taken over the religion even of people other, who are otherwise very intelligent. We have the, uh, the painting of God in the Sistine Chapel in Rome. An old man with a long beard. Must be because he created the world. He must be really old by now. He must have a long beard. And because we are all so sinful, he must be very angry at us. So he's looking down, ready to punish. So at some point in time, when people became so much so-called rational and enlightened, some of them began to understand that this concept of God is neither rational nor enlightened. And thus they conceived of God as impersonal. So he can't be like that, not like us, getting old with a beard. But all persons we see, men, because God must be a man, right? They don't know what we know. He's a man, but he has his shakti. He's until, anyway, um, so um, every man we saw grows old and has a beard, if he doesn't shave it, and we never heard of barbers or shaving foam in heaven. And... Uh, so that doesn't seem either he's like that or we can't be like that. So probably God's not a person at all. God is just love, undefined. So they realize that God must be spiritual, but they have no idea what spiritual is. So they just negate all mater- material qualities and say, that's God. So both concepts are highly inadequate. That's why from the beginning, Bhagavad Gita gives knowledge that is more confidential than any taught anywhere. Bhagavad Gita is known as Gita Upanishad. It is the essence of all the Upanishads. Sarvo Upanishado Gavo is like a, a, a desire-fulfilling cow that is the essence of all the, or the conglomeration of all the Upanishads. So the Upanishads give spiritual knowledge. They are considered the... Uh, final point of Vedic knowledge. Veda means knowledge and Vedanta means the end point or final point of knowledge. Vedas mostly give knowledge of Trigunya Vishaya Veda. They mostly give knowledge of activities within the three modes of material nature which are meant for elevating one to the heavenly planets. That is just to entice people to take up the Vedic path. Because people want sense gratification. In, this, in the conditioned state, the contaminated state, we want sense gratification. So when we come to learn that, in the heavenly planets, there is far greater sense gratification than here. When we get information from the Vedas about this, then we become desirous to go there. But to go there, we have to live a regulated, pious life. So by following the Vedic path, one lives a uh, more civilized path than that of the gross 
sense enjoyers who follow no rules and regulations. He gains faith in the Vedic directions. And he accepts that this life that we are living now is not all in all, that after we die the soul will, in, 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 at least indirectly, accepts that the soul is going from body to body. And by cultivating a pious disposition, he has the opportunity to uh, serve saintly persons. That is a highly recommended pious activity. That's why we see in India even today people are inclined to serve and respect saintly people or even people who pretend to be saintly. So if they meet an actual saintly person, a devotee of the Lord, then that tendency to serve him will uh, translate into the beginning of their devotional service. So although the path of karma kanda is not in itself of much benefit, it provides an opportunity to come to a higher level. The next higher level is Jnanakanda, that is the path of the Upanishads, which teach us that this world is miserable, temporary. That is Vedanta. When one understands what's the use of this, Tetam Bhuktva Svargalogam Shine Punye Martya Lokam Vishanti, what's the use of performing these pious activities and going to the heavenly planets and coming down again? Then he is ready. Atato Brahma Jignasa, then he is ready for the actual purpose of human life to inquire into spiritual knowledge or actual Vedic knowledge. After being going through and being uh, satiated with the Purvamimangsha section of the Vedas dealing with Karmakanda, one can come to the Uttamimangsha or that section dealing with knowledge, spiritual knowledge. But the Upanishads, they mostly give uh, vague spiritual knowledge. So the Bhagavad Gita is uh, re-echoing the knowledge of the Upanishads. This, uh, this verse and the purport that Prabhupada has given to us describes how the Lord acts through his energies. He does not have to exert himself like Atlas, like some mythical Atlas, but being the Supreme Lord, he is naturally Shaktiman, possessed of all energies. Therefore, uh, all his energies, they, they work automatically, just at his behest. Parasya shakti vividhaiva shruyate swabhavaki jnana The Supreme has unlimited potencies which are described and understood in various ways. They all act automatically according to his desire. Unlimited potencies, such as his knowledge potency, his strength potency, his activity potency. And it all goes on so nicely that he doesn't have to personally be involved in every aspect of these energies working. But his energies, who are within this material world, in the spiritual world also personified as different personalities, they oversee everything for him. So that the absolute truth is the supreme person and the supreme joya is actual Vedanta. But mostly scholars of Vedanta 
they look through the Vedas and they can't find Krishna. He is Vedeshu Durlabham Adurlabham Atma Bhakto. He is difficult to find in the Vedas, but very easy to find for his loving devotees. Because Krishna cannot be understood only through knowledge. Here in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna is presenting Arjuna knowledge. But why is he speaking to Arjuna? Arjuna was certainly uh, fit to understand this philosophical knowledge. He wasn't, uh, he, he, being a Vedic Kshatriya, he had a background of Vedic knowledge. But he wasn't famous as a scholar or a philosopher. Just like in Croatia, there may be so many people who know how to play football and regularly play football, but not everyone's an international star. So Arjuna, he was competent to understand in, in understanding Vedic philosophy, but he was not known as a great, greatly philosophical person. Vyasadeva was present in the world at the time. Who is a greater philosopher than Vyasadeva, apart from Krishna himself? Bhishma, who was later to explain so many points of philosophy to Yudhishthira Maharaj. He was present on the battlefield also. Drona, who was a Brahmin by caste, so you, you would expect that philosophy should be spoken to Brahmanas, the Upanishads should be spoken to Brahmanas. He was present there also. His son Ashvatthama, Brahmin. Kripa, he was present. Brahmana. But Krishna spoke to Arjuna and he explained why he spoke to Arjuna this knowledge. Bhaktosi me sakha chaiti rahasyam hietad uttamam. I'm speaking this rahasya, this mysterious knowledge to you, or this confidential knowledge to you, because you are my sincere devotee and my very dear friend. Arjuna had surrendered to Krishna. Shishyaste hang shadi mang tvang prapannam. Now I'm surrendering to you as a disciple. Please instruct me. So uh, Krishna could have instructed him less thoroughly, but he took Arjuna, uh, he, he presented Arjuna's dilemma not simply in the context of the situation he found himself in, but he presented the situation in terms of absolute universal knowledge, by understanding which Arjuna could be free from all delusion in any confusing situation eternally. And not only Arjuna could be free from all delusion, but anyone who heard Bhagavad Gita following in the footsteps of Arjuna could also be free from all delusion. But that knowledge is not received simply by an academic method. It can be received by submission and surrendering and surrender in the spirit of loving devotion. Because this knowledge is part of the, it, it, it is, when we say part, it's not part, it's intrinsic to, it is a, an intrinsic feature of the Jaiva Dharma, the very nature of the soul. The nature of the soul is to love Krishna. And with that bhakti, automatically jnana, transcendental knowledge, and vairagya, detachment from everything else but service to Krishna, become manifested. Vasudeva Bhagavati Bhakti Yoga Prayojitaha. Hmm? That's the next line. 
Janyatyashuvairagyam Jnanang Chayad Ahitukam. For those who engage in devotional service to Krishna, then knowledge and uh, detachment from this material world automatically manifest. Whereas if one tries to practice, tries to acquire knowledge or practice detachment without devotional service, that knowledge and detachment can never be real. That's why on the Jnana Kanda or the path of knowledge of the Vedas, one uh, acquires spiritual knowledge of how this material world is temporary and how the absolute truth is all-pervading and how we are spirit souls and not the body. We have no actual connection with this material world. But that knowledge remains sadly incomplete without knowledge of Krishna. So that which is hinted at in the principal Upanishads is clearly revealed here in Bhagavad Gita. Actually, for one who has this knowledge, he can understand that the Upanishads only speak of Krishna. But then their utterances are stated in such a way that the non-devotees cannot find Krishna there. Whereas here, Krishna explains his position very clearly as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Maya tatamidam sarvam by me the whole universe is pervaded. His name is Vasudev, means the son of Vasudev. But it also means he who is present everywhere. So he is present everywhere and simultaneously he is right there on the chariot with Arjuna. Not off the chariot as that picture shows. So uh, later Krishna is to show Arjuna the Vishwarup Darshan, the universal form, which the impersonalists very much like, because they like to conceive as the Supreme Lord as being spread everywhere. But the devotees, like Arjuna, they may see the universal form, but they like to see Krishna in his two-handed form. So the devotees understand how Krishna, this two-handed form of Krishna, holding the flute, or on the battlefield holding the reins of Arjuna's chariot is simultaneously everywhere. And his energies are acting everywhere. And he uh, is involved in our lives as much as we want him to be. Yomam pashati sarvatra sarvam chapmai pashati tasyaham napanashami sachame napanashati. Krishna describes how the devotee sees Krishna everywhere and in everything. So to such a person, Krishna is never lost, because he always sees Krishna. And Krishna certainly never forgets such a devotee either. Krishna is seeing everyone, but he especially looks to my, where is my devotee? Prabhupada once described uh, how uh, in the Second World War, during the Second World War, when he was in Calcutta, he had just sat down to take prasadam when Japanese bombing started. And everyone said, come quick, get in the air raid shelter. And Prabhupada said, I'll take Prasad first. But if the bomb kills me, that's Krishna. So he thought, I saw also the bomb as Krishna in another way. That would be very Krishna conscious to have a vision like that, isn't it? <laughs> you all remember the war here? You're all here in the war? It's very frightening, huh? When 
bombs are dropping and anytime soldiers can rush in and shoot everyone. Even when you're walking or driving, you don't know any moment you may hit a mine and become become put under a gravestone. There's anything left of your body to put. It requires a high level of God consciousness to think, this is God in another form. But uh, one who has that vision, he can see Krishna everywhere. And even in greatly disturbing circumstances, he can understand that this there's some plan of Krishna here. There's something very disturbing happens. He's not disturbed because he thinks, well, it's, I, it's some karma of mine. And in this very difficult situation, something very distressing happened. But he thinks, well, I deserve that. Someone is for no apparent reason harassing me so much. I must have harassed him in the previous life. Thinking like this, which is actually a... Uh, it's actually the way to think, understanding the whole universal situation. One can become peaceful and understand that whatever the material disturbances may be, my duty is to serve Krishna. And for one who thinks like that, Krishna reciprocates. And Krishna helps a devotee in all ways. And when we say helps a devotee, you may think that well, he removes the disturbances and he, he makes everything very nice. Not necessarily so. But he gives the devotee the understanding by which he can find the way to go on in Krishna consciousness in that situation. That's why we sometimes find people who are what we would call materially disadvantaged, who are very uh, determined and happy in Krishna consciousness. I'm not sure about in this part of the world, but in in uh, Britain, in America, it's like. It's like the culture, if someone has some some uh, distress, then we're, we're supposed to show great empathy with them. Oh, I'm so sorry. Or if someone gives you a gift, you're supposed to express great delight. Oh, that's so wonderful. But in Indian culture, it's not like that. In, in the West also, that uh, if someone is old or sick or dying, you, you push them in a hospital or an old person to hide them away. I remember reading an account. It was it, actually his devotee was describing his uh, an American devotee was describing his experiences uh, preaching among the Druze community in Israel, mm-hmm. and he described how he went in some house and he saw there was an old man there, obviously not far away from death, lying down, and he was impressed how you know they weren't trying to hide it or. Whereas in the Western country they try to hide it away and forget about it because their whole culture is uh, it's trying to maintain a fantasy that material life is so wonderful and so nice. It's all good in the Western culture and in fact it's a try to maintain a fantasy Everyone's living in Walt Disneyland. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs or something like that. Alice in Wonderland or something. But uh, people who are less insane, they know that we're in this world, there is God, we have, at some point we have to go, and they don't regard death as such a, in, in such in, in, in such a, what's the word, catastrophic way or uh, 
There's a, I can't remember the word. Cataclysmic way. Uh, there's a word. It's connected with death, actually, in such a final way that you know it's all over like this. In America, it's like a whole cult of half the population. People are so concerned about increasing their lifespan, and uh, when they're getting older, they have to, you know, take get their face lifted, some operation to lift their skin up so that makes them look younger, and they go on pretending to be young when their body is going old because they value sense gratification as the only goal of life and sense gratification can be enjoyed better in young bodies so even they don't like to tell now i'm 55 years old they'll tell them i'm 35 years old and it's considered actually impolite to ask a woman who's obviously over 30 what her age is. Because it's considered like, you know, something really unfortunate. <laughs> Because that's when the wrinkles begin, which means the end of youthful beauty. So they simply have to lament and apply piles of cream on the or powder or whatever. You've got them too. <laughs> it's pathetic how they try to how they're so much attached to their bodies and they become so distressed. But one in knowledge of, of God and our relationship with Him, they're not disturbed by these things. They're not disturbed, oh, I'm going old, I can't enjoy so much. They just think, I have to live this life and chant Hare Krishna, remember Krishna, and go to Krishna. I remember when I was younger, I was uh, well, maybe in my mid-twenties, so I was you know, chanting Hare Krishna and this and that, but uh, I recognized in myself a large degree of useful passion and foolishness. So I say, well, it's better if I get, you know, older, then I might be better. Actually, in, uh, in enlightened cultures, old age is respected. It's considered something good because it's considered that one should have acquired some wisdom Whereas young, and young people are not given freedom to run around the streets and find different girlfriends and boyfriends every weekend. But even in married life, they're controlled, which no one wants anymore. They want the freedom to be like cats and dogs. And they consider it their right, the United Nations Charter of Human Rights. We shall have all rights to be cats and dogs in this life. We don't wait for the next life. So, even when they grow up, they become old, they don't become wise, they just become older cats and dogs in human form. <laughs> That's why we have to study Bhagavad Gita and understand the spiritual knowledge. Wow. We should go on growing spiritually every day. In the apartment where I'm staying, on the door they have marked some mark with some date, and then another mark with another date. It must be some child's They're growing, how they're showing the date, how they're, what height they are. So spiritually we should go on growing, day by day. They don't make day by day marks on the door because you wouldn't notice the difference. But if you do every six months, you can see the difference. So like that, if we go on uh, imbibing this spiritual knowledge, then we should grow. We shouldn't forever remain in the beginning stage, but by... Uh, serving Krishna and hearing about him from Bhagavad Gita, then we should...
come to realize the presence of Krishna, how Krishna is everywhere. He really is our best friend. He is with us. He's helping us, helping us to come closer to Him. Krishna is explaining this knowledge so that we can uh, each, like Arjuna, uh, enter into our very real relationship with Him. Is there any question about this? There's an example I was telling her. Sometimes people with more distressful situation, they become more. They have so much determination to be Krishna conscious. They're very happy in Krishna consciousness. In Moscow there's a devotee, no hands. He distributed so many books. He just has some stubs here. I don't know what happened. Was it, was it a bomb or what? He was a soldier. Yeah. There's another who's blind who goes out to distribute books. Yes, they're very happy in Krishna consciousness. Other people may think, oh, there's such a miserable situation, no arms and can't see. But actually they are suffering more. They have all their senses, but they're misusing them in the service of their, of Maya. Hmm. Anything to say? Yeah. You were saying how we should grow all the time spiritually. Mm. So how we can know... Um, uh, whether one is advanced devotee, <laughs> practically I can see sometimes I see devotees sometimes they are not uh, so good chanting or something, they are just not, but uh, they have all good qualities, they are year after year serving, they are very humble, but they are not, in some parts they are not so good so Lali Govind's job is not so good is that what you're saying? Yeah <laughs> Who's job? Lalit Govind? No, no. I just noticed all the qualities. I don't know what his job is like. No, I'm not thinking about it. Uh -huh. Just a general example, is it? Yeah. We'll see the qualities of someone's japa. We'll see its quality by what they do when they're not chanting japa. <laughs> As Prabhupada wrote the the result of chanting Hare Krishna is that one becomes enthusiastic to serve Krishna. Such a person is chanting Hare Krishna all the time, even if you don't see him chanting. Yeah, please. Yeah, The uh, question is, what's actually happened uh, that we find ourselves in this world? If you are eternal servant of the world, and, uh, why we are here? What's happened? The often asked question, we are our nature is to be eternal servants of the Lord. Why are we here? Well, you can give the answer yourself. Why are you not with Krishna? Maybe I, don't, I was not good. <laughs> you can be with Krishna right now. You want or don't want? We'll say we want, but then we have so many other desires. It is due to misuse of independence. We have the choice to serve Krishna or not to serve Krishna. If there was no choice, there would be no love. We would just be robots. That there is choice presupposes that some of the jivas will misuse it. So here we are. Welcome to the material world. The Bhagavad Gita class means welcome to the spiritual world. Is it possible to go directly to the spiritual world, to the world Krishna, without going to the Satya Loka or these heavenly planets? Yes, it's possible. <laughs> if 
you want to see all the other places, you might get stuck on the way. <coughs> Better not to think about them. Just think about Krishna, serving Krishna. Just like sometimes we hear devotees in a country like India say that, I could really serve Krishna better in America. I think that would be a better atmosphere for my Krishna consciousness. So they may go, but they tend to forget Krishna. Now is the chance. Chant Hare Krishna, go to Krishna. Right to chant Hare Krishna, lead Kirtan. <laughs>